Good morning. Good afternoon. So on and so forth. Hope you're having a good morning so far. Good day so far. Can you all hear me? Five people nodded. So that's that's enough. I don't need anybody else to listen. Title of this morning's Dharma talk is Facing a Jewel Mirror. So this comes from, as some of you already know, about every six months we change from doing uh, Sandokai, uh, a poem coming out of ancient China, and we do Tokyo uh, Zamai, uh, or the Song of the Jewel Mirror, Samadhi. And I believe we're doing that right now. So I gave a talk on this uh, eight or nine years ago, a series of talks, about a dozen talks on this. And I pretty much forgot everything I said, so I don't have to draw on that information. However, the reason I use this kind of an image is because I often say that it's uh, you're, you're like looking at yourself. So that's, a, of course, the mirror is the, the image we have there for having a reflection come directly back, uh, obviously. But this is also, show, also showing up everywhere. And so in the ninth century, uh, Dong Shan Lian Chi was a Chinese word name for uh, um, um, cave mountain, and his uh, Japanese name is Tozan Ryokai, which you will hear if you do if you do the, uh, the lineage chant. You're familiar with that. He was the 38th patriarch after the Buddha, and the 10th after uh, Bodhidharma from the what sixth century up to the eighth century. And so there's a lot of images in this. Uh, in this uh, song of the jewel mirror samadhi that do a similar kind of thing like um uh, hiding hiding a heron in the moonlight so hiding a white heron in the moonlight so there's something there they're the same uh, and yet they're not the same and no matter what you do you you know where they're where they are you know what they are but uh it's not about so much about uh, uh positionality or some kind of relative knowledge that we often cling to or stir up or attach ourselves to. So the line in there is uh, uh, like a, um, like facing a jewel mirror image and form behold each other. Image and form. So there's form and then there's the image behold each other. And you could look at that logically or reasonably and say, nah, that's not, the mirror's not looking at you. Well, this is the kind of uh, image or metaphor that is used all through uh, not only uh, uh, non-theistic uh, lineages as we have or we're studying here, but also through uh, some theistic uh, approaches. And I'm not going to go into those particularly. But it's, it shows up everywhere to try to take some kind of a deep understanding of what this is for us as human beings living a particular life and go deeply into that. What, what is it fundamentally? We know what it is relatively. I got to get to work and uh, the lawn needs, needs mowing or on and so on and so forth. So we're all we already know about all that and we have our issues and our conversations and our disagreements and our agreements about all of that. 
we do this with our <clears throat> our neighbors, our friends, our mates, and we do it on our own mind with ourselves back and forth. Uh, should I or shouldn't I? And I often say, I'll say now, when you're saying should I or shouldn't I, you shouldn't do anything because that all that is is the ego mind, the self-centered mind, kind of halfway complaining about not having enough information and actually willing to take a stab at it no matter what, rather than what, wait. That is in the Song of the Jewel Mira Samadhi or Hokyo Zamai is uh, turning away and touching are both wrong. So turning away from something, uh, touching something. So turning away is a kind of aggression or ignorance. And then going towards it is is also incorrect. So it's just a way of using uh, those kinds of images to help us um, help us work with our awareness, our bare attention about the nature of phenomena, whether it's the phenomena of this or the ph- phenomena of our memory of that. If you notice that you can actually hear something and remember it, you can remember the sound. You can somewhat even evoke that sound in your mind stream. Very interesting area of consciousness that we so take for granted and we uh, we we don't naturalize it or normalize it in terms of what it is. We we do that in terms of what we think it is. And what do we think it is? We think it's us. We think that we're hearing that. We think that we're having that intense feeling about this or about that. <clears throat> we are prisoners. If I may say it this way, I'm not particularly inventing this myself. We're prisoners of our own ideas, concepts, conclusions, and uh, hopes and fears. And that may get very strong in your life and it may back off and may get so weak that you don't, you decide you don't really even need to do anything other than just uh, what paint pictures or uh, develop software or make a living. And, and I'm not here to disagree. I'm not saying you aren't. Maybe maybe that will be all you need to do. However, it seems important when anything occurs, rather than just abandon what occurs for what we think about what occurs, is to see fundamentally what that what that occurrence is, in in its uh, um, in its immediacy and in its depth. Very difficult to do that unless there's a strong mind training, unless we're spending some time sitting down, holding still, and watching the movement of the mind. In other words, in the same words, training the mind to see clearly. Simply put, it's what we're doing is we're exercising that witnessing aspect of the mind so that when anything comes into the mind stream, regardless whether it's um, whether, whether it is triggered from the outside or whether it is uh, triggered from the so-called uh, inside, whatever happens that we see clearly what it is. <clears throat> and that's challenging because we we don't see the mirror-like quality of everything. We see the uh, otherness, otherness, it's other. It's And sometimes it gets so extreme that we have the intense paranoia that we have going on in our current social, political scene. It's It's so intense that it's a and civilizations tend to do that, as you all know. You all are you know, been studied and so on, probably a lot more than I have. But civilizations don't last. They they rise and they fall, and they rise and they fall. And that seems to be what ours is doing in some way, perhaps. 
causes and conditions there are uh, tend to get different. They're much different now than they were um, 100 years ago. Much different because of uh, the communication is so uh, intense and with uh, technology and so on. And it's also so easy to meddle with it or fool with it or change it or lie. A similar kind of things is, is going on in our own mind as we uh, go to our job, interact with our with our with our children, interact with our mate, interact with our neighbors and friends, interact with our Dharma brothers and sisters, is we tend to believe the thoughts about things. And you might say, well, what else am I going to do? I need to I need to think, I need to evaluate, I need to come to conclusions and ideas and so on. Not really. You could relax a little bit into that. And how do you do that? Practice. Practice. All uh, Even though meditation can seem kind of uptight, here I am sitting down. Oh, my God, I've got to be here for four hours or three hours or whatever you've decided on. And, uh, and we immediately go into some kind of a <clears throat> labyrinth of thought patterns about this and about that and about this and about that. And then we try to stop that or control that, or I can't stop thinking, or I keep fretting about this and fretting about that. And what I'm here to tell you to say, as I've said many times, and I'll say again, is that's what you need to, that is your object of meditation. I don't teach following the breath and trying to stabilize the mind separate from the very thing that is causing the disruption. I say, uh, look at the disruption and look at it, what, forever. Look at it until it becomes something else or becomes something else or something else. Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi. Why is it a jewel? Because it's so, I'm about to use an epithet, but I've decided not to since I'm on YouTube. I don't want to get canceled. And I probably could tweet this, though, I think. Maybe I could probably tweet it, but I don't tweet much. It's a jewel because it's so incredible. It's, be, it's valuable, valuable beyond anything you can imagine, beyond money, beyond billions of this or that. It's, it's valuable. The song of the jewel, mirror, samadhi, mirror, reflecting, 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 reflecting. It's reflecting. It's reflecting. And why is it samadhi? Samadhi means not separate, as far as I know. Well, what a Sanskrit word that means not two. So why, why is it a song? Because uh, it may show up that way. It may show up more as something that shows up and goes away and shows up and goes away. It may show up as a performance. It may show up as an expression. It may show up as music. The song, the jewel, mirror, samadhi. Hokyo online. So this whole, this whole uh, uh, poem or sutra, as we, we call it a sutra, because we chant it every day, or at least we are right now, I believe. It is full of oppositions that are, that are characterized as uh, images, uh, the hiding the heron in the moon, moonlight, uh, a stone woman gets up dancing. Well, a stone woman can't dance, but in this, the stone woman gets up dancing. So some kind of a, almost a miraculous kind of thing happens out of a fundamental ordinariness of our life. The wooden man begins to sing is another one. Why, why would somebody in the, in the ninth century say that? 
and have it translated out of the Chinese in such a way that uh, it's very, very descriptive of what he said in uh, Mandarin. It says, it is bright just at midnight. It doesn't appear at dawn. It's bright just at midnight. It doesn't appear at dawn. So to one who is who is curious about their mind and curious about what this is and has some kind of uh, that curiosity coming out of the human realm, of the six realms, the human realm is the one that has the curiosity. It's like, a what is this? It's not that monkeys don't say, what is this? But usually they're looking for something to eat. But what is this? Curiosity there doesn't last long. Curiosity with a human being can last a long time, a lifetime. What is this? And I would say that's a very good uh, place to, every time you sit down and look at the wall and say, what is this? Take nothing for granted. Assume nothing. Sometimes people will say, well, I've been sitting, sitting and sitting. It's not the same person sitting. It might have to do a whole lot of sitting to realize that the, if you think you sit 20 days in a row or 10 days in a row, sit more. Practice more. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't uh, teach in this way, teach in different ways. And they have their students. And if you're listening to me for the next, what, half an hour or whatever it is, uh, you're a student of mine, or you could be for a while. You may be a student from now on, and you may you may not. You may go a different direction. That the, the right or wrong are, are extra there. That's totally up to you. You you need to carry uh, some of the uh, whatever it is. I can take some. I can continue to talk, or I can take some questions. I like questions. They tend to bring the the whole talk into a, a direct a, a direction that is probably more interesting than, uh, or maybe more even help, more helpful than what I would continue to say. In the analogy, what, what is the jewel? What in our everyday life is valuable beyond anything else? The, the very, uh, the very ultimate nature of who you are and what this is. You're not separate from, this this uh, fellow uh, 2,500 years ago understood something about the nature of reality, to use a common word, of, of what is fundamentally the truth, absolute reality. He understood something about it, and he began to share it with others. They might not have liked it. They might have been sent to go study with the Buddha, and they might have been 12 years old and thinking, eh, I don't want to do that. I'd rather stay with Dad and work in the greenery or whatever it may be. No, you go study with the Buddha. And so, and that might have uh, connected and it might not have, depending on what, the causes and conditions that arise at any, as any given being. Is this the very thing that brought you onto the screen or brought these screens into these rooms? Causes and conditions. And so the, what is valuable is, and it's said in so many different ways and by, in so many different traditions, it's the jewel uh, in the rubbish heap. In other words, the very, very uh, crap that you're dealing with in your life, your own discomfort and your own not wanting that this, uh, this doesn't work and this one shouldn't happen, or even the real extreme versions, like somebody really close to you just dies. That's a rubbish heap. 
you get very sick or your own life becomes threatened or someone uh, like in the case of my granddaughter, who's very threatened and her grandmother just died, which is another big weight on that whole family because her, her health is challenged too, but it's, but it's a, but it's a, uh, it is a, uh, a rubbish heap. We know that we don't have to, we're not trying to cover it over with some kind of God realm. Like we're all going to heaven. We're not doing that. If you're, if you're in this uh, particular lineage, you could go to any one of those realms and serve there. Save all beings. Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to the, the jealous God realm. Or no, no one, if they understand it, they don't even want to go to the God realm because it's so blind. It's just uh, we're so in, enamored of our wonderful life and all of our money and all of our control and all of our possessions or credentials doesn't last 10 minutes, 10 years, not that much difference. I'm sure you've noticed, those of you who have been around a little while, notice that time time is kind of an odd thing. It's uh, unreal. There isn't anything with this. The body-mind complex uh, conditions and reifies and establishes some kind of continuity where something is here, gets older and older, or, uh, grows uh um, uh, more and more tired, more weak, and eventually passes away. Sickness, aging, and death. That's what the Buddha saw when he walked out of the temple. He saw that, and he what he did is he looked to uh, respond to your question, Junshu, which I have not forgotten. He Instead of running away from that, back into the temple and smoothing everything over and doing what his dad wanted, which is to be, become the prince and become the a uh, universal monarch, instead he went into the forest. What is this sickness, sickness, aging, and death? What is this fundamentally? What is it rather than what do people think it is? What do the Brahmins think it is? What do the Jains think it is? What does my dad think it is? How can I find out? So then over time, <clears throat> through practicing and looking, training his mind, I wasn't there, of course, but as far as we know, he, he began to understand something. And he also went out and tortured himself. He went without food. He went, if you read any of the stories, uh, he kind of went through a whole bunch of things that we, won't, we don't have to go through, particularly. Just train your mind. And then what happened 2,500 years ago, going to look up, look, it will look a lot different culturally then than it does now, of course. Or even 100 years ago. Pardon me. So the jewel is to look into the difficulty, the very difficulty that uh, you, Junchu, or anyone else, any kind of negativity that uh, has arisen to, uh, in your body-mind complex in the last 24 hours is uh, the jewel. That's the jewel. It's just covered up with rubbish. And the rubbish that it's covered up with are the conclusions, ideas, opinions, judgments, hope, and fear, and all those other structures that keep you from seeing the fundamental uh, a reality that is in front of you, which is, uh, which is a dharmakaya, the fundamental awakened nature that cannot be stopped by death. It can't be stopped by anything because it is not started. It is not arising. Something arises. It's going down. If you if you try to do this with your thinking process, um, 
you might have some success. You might have some relative success. You might read a, write a few books on Buddhism. Go ahead. That's not. They might even be helpful, especially if it tells you how to meditate. But you, me, I, we, we have to see this ourselves. This is what the Buddha basically said. He he saw this and. He pointed to it, and he has lots of uh, as other teachers have had down through the centuries, different concepts and ideas about how to understand what this is. Some some of them are quite well known and famous. Some of them are kind of obscure, but are still important to study. So we we when we have this intense feeling, the thing that makes it so difficult uh, to see the incredible purity of our minds is that we we grasp onto some things and we push away other things and it can be very subtle or it can be obvious and when we when we me or you any of us have or sitting in a room somewhere and have negative emotions come up that are very painful or difficult we just don't we don't just experience them we do something with them we have some kind of attribution. We blame someone. We blame something. We blame what we ate. We blame, we blame, we blame. And it's not that some of that isn't true. That's why it's so damn hard is because somebody did actually come in and uh, insult you or someone did uh, cause you to lose your job or someone did take your spouse away from you or someone something did happen where, uh, where someone really close to you that you were uh, that you uh, really liked decided they don't want to be your friend anymore. And won't tell you why. They just don't want they want anything to do with you anymore. And if they do try to tell you why, that's not exactly what you want to hear. You don't want to hear the actual explanation. You all know what I'm talking about. So if you can if you can hold your seat, so to say, metaphorically, speak, hold your seat and look at whatever shows up. I am saying anything. Everything is a Dharma gate if if you can do it. But you may not be not just a Junshu, but anyone may not be able to be ready to do this in a, in that direct a way until you do it in in, uh, in little ways. And how do you do that? Sit down, hold still, and start practicing on relating to whatever rises in the mind without uh, agreeing, without disagreeing, and without ignoring. And in that way, you're training your mind to see more and more clearly what this fundamentally is uh, by just using your own thought patterns. Because anytime a thought arises, this is a living being. Same thing. It comes, you think it for 30 seconds, or, it go, or it's like a dream, a memory of a dream. You have a memory of a dream. It seemed like something happened. You notice that you can actually, uh, well, until you get as old as I am, uh, you can tell the difference between a memory of a dream and a memory of something that happened. It's worse. Much more fun. Did I dream I was the king? of Prussia? Or was I actually the king of Prussia? Don't help me with this one, please. <laughs> I'll handle it. So the jewel part is, is when someone has realized this, one uh, realizes deeply that most people, most everyone is ignoring it or looking away. They don't see it and they tend to torture themselves and others and fight with themselves and have all kinds of really difficult stuff happen in their life. And you don't know if you're coming back here. Death comes without warning. This body will be a corpse. 
At that time, the Dharma will be my only help. I must practice it with exertion. What is the Dharma? The truth. I don't have to join Buddhism. I don't require any. Somebody wants to talk to me. I don't require anything. I don't even require them to come back. That's up to you. I trust you. When I say I trust you, I trust the kar karma that brought you, uh, causes and conditions that brought you in front of the situation, same as the causes and conditions that brought me uh, in, in front of the uh, Satguru or the true teacher. I couldn't have concocted that. But without meaning a true teacher, I could not be here. I could not be doing this. Not that I'm doing anything all that important. Junju, anything further about that? No, thank you. There is a question from Shane Thompson on YouTube. Yes, yeah, Shane. He asks, can you talk about the opening the eye mind practice and how it relates to seeing the jewel mirror? So oh, the practice that I workshops that I teach sometimes called opening the eye mind just is just a way of using uh, the eye consciousness to, and emphasizing that in such a way that it uh, it cuts into the thinking process or uh, sets aside the thinking process using some techniques so that one is able to emphasize what one sees uh, in, a, in a much more powerful way than what one thinks. We don't really realize that we're thinking about what we're seeing. We think we're seeing uh, what we're thinking, but we're actually thinking about what we're seeing. You don't actually see what's in front of you. I'm not accusing you of anything. You, and if you were to some say, no, I think I do see. So then I think I really do. I would not argue with you. I would just say, oh, okay. I guess I was wrong about you. But we don't see what is in front of us. If you see what is in front of us, uh, I can tell you how you will know. You don't know what it is. I don't care if you're looking at a Lamborghini. You don't know what that is. And if you do know what it is, then you're looking at your ideas about what that is rather than the Lamborghini. Uh, so if you were to see what a Lamborghini, uh, look at a Lamborghini and see what that was, it would be just like you were from another planet and did, had never heard of uh, the, what's called the automobile. It would look like, a, if it looked like anything, it would like a, look like an abstract piece of sculpture, totally meaningless. So open the eye mind not to go off into that particular, but just, just to practice a, a way of uh, uh, setting up a structure so that it kind of interferes with the tendency of the thinking process to grasp on to what it's seeing. So, and I like to do that. You can do that with anything, but I like to do it with paintings, uh, works, especially works of artwork that are uh, powerful uh, uh, pieces uh, that are well-known particularly, but don't have to be. Several exercises for that. I can answer other questions about that. I just don't want to continue to talk about open in the eye mind exercises. If somebody asks me to do to do those again, I'll do them again. I usually do things uh, by request, unless I don't. Oh, sorry, Colin. In that example of the Lamborghini. We see that we're being that we've been conditioned to keep seeing that as a car. <laughs> yes. Is there something? Is there something else that is there to be seen? Yeah. So <laughs> the truth that nothing is separate. You're not separate from anything anywhere. You're not separate from your thoughts. 
You're not separate from the Lamborghini. You're not separate from that which comes together as a as an object and hangs in there for 50 years and has a name. And have, you're not separate from any of that. But you, but you, without uh, some kind of understanding of uh, the basic teach, one of the basic teachings of, uh, of Buddhism is emptiness, emptiness of self. No, no, nobody here, and emptiness of other. No, nothing out there. Until that's until one has gone through that understanding, uh, one cannot necessarily come back and deal with the actual Lamborghini, which is not separate from its name, how it looks, your imputations about it, or that that it is empty of uh, anything separate. To see that all at once is um, what I'm endeavoring to talk about. How does seeing the the automobile quality of that prevent us from seeing the truth of the situation? Attachment. Because we're attached to what we think. Because that has a direct bearing on how safe we are. Ego does not want to be... Uh, ego is very... Because it's unreal, we have to constantly fluff it up and puff it up and sh shield it from everything. Because if you actually saw who you who you are... You, you're, you'd be fearless. I mean, if you, if anybody even used, used that appellation to talk about you, because you would not be afraid of anything. It wouldn't be a credential, so it wouldn't show up as you're, you're going out and uh, running into, uh, you know, um, a pack of wolves because you're so fearless. Uh, there'd be nothing to prove. But, but, the, but the fear is gone. It's not that the wolves are gone. The wolves could be more intense. The Lamborghini, the actual grasping at the Lamborghini could be even more intense because now the grasping is freed to be what it is rather than somebody who's grasping. It, it's, it has to be done with a consciousness. You can't think your way into this. Um, look what happened to, to Nagarjuna. He started right after he wrote the, the in praise of Dharmadatu, he started having immediate migraines one right after another. Sorry, I just made that up. Can we see that we're um, lopping the Lamborghini into our concept of automobile and see the truth at the same time? Paraphrase yourself. Can we see that we're adding to that and s still see the truth? Yes, that is the truth. To see that you're adding, that is the, that is the truth. Just see what all you have to do is be aware. And you actually see that the adding is also no adding. Because there isn't any, there's no, there's there is nothing that is substantial. It just looks like it. It's an incredible illusion. That's why it's uh that's why it's called a uh, mirror-like. Because it's such an incredible illusion. And the closer you get to it, the further away it recedes. More please, if you have it. How can something at one point prevent us from seeing the truth, but also be included in that truth? Because it's not separate. That's why. That's why you can't do it with logic. You can't do it with reason. You can't. You can't because it it transcends all of that. It goes beyond all of that. You could say. You could say so. Because I want you to paraphrase yourself. <laughs> so I want you to paraphrase yourself. No. Not gonna. You can't make me. You're not the boss of me. 
Go ahead, go ahead with your question if you have another one, uh, Shoto. What's so dissatisfying about that response? Yeah, it's it's because we it's because of desire. We want some we want some kind of a, a satisfaction or feeling of accomplishment or aha, I got it. Some kind of an aha. This is why people do. I mean, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but this is why people do crossword puzzles. Is because you get and then you get an aha. You get an aha. Oh yeah, that's the word. That little kind of payoff, a little payoff. We don't get with the spiritual path. You are not going to get a payoff. Sorry, my friends. If you want relative truth, I've got all kinds of things you can do to get a payoff. But if you want ultimate truth, it's not going to be a payoff because you actually transcend this world while your body mind complex is still here. It is completely ordinary and it's so miraculous that it's that you you can't even talk about it. You can't, there aren't words to describe this. It's like I'm speaking out of a of a huge vacuum. Kevin Bowie. Yes, Kevin. So, Kazan, when we do the opening the eye mind practice, we are training ourselves to see what's there and notice how we're adding on to it. How does a practice like the song of the jewel mirror of uh, Samadhi, which is so rich with its own imagery. How does that help us in, in a similar way? I, I don't know if it's, uh, maybe it's similar, but the idea there is that you, if you contemplate those images because they flip back and forth and, and the uh, intention of the, the of Dongshan Lianchi or Tozan Ryokai is to, he, he understands something. And so he's written this. And if you read the whole thing, and it's uh, it's fairly long, it's longer than uh, a Sandokai. Uh, and he keeps going back and forth. And I'm not even sure it was written by the same person because some of the, some of the, some of the uh, images and metaphors in there are, are more clunky, at least when they're translated into Eng English, they are in, uh, in Chinese, ancient Chinese, uh, like the one that talks about uh, the 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 I Ching uh, uses the hexagrams and and uh, trigrams and so on and, and you have to really know something about that and in ancient times uh, you would know because it would be more uh, a classical cultural kind of situation uh, but the way that way in which this would work is to help give you one like the a stone woman gets up dancing is a powerful it's like something that is that can't dance. Something that's made of stone, there's a piece of sculpture. It just starts to dance. So that using using that shows us what that is. And then when we come to, but it has to be done through awareness practice, through sitting and contemplating that and contemplating. It's it's like a uh, it's like a koan. It, yet, yet, yet it doesn't have a puzzle kind of answer like some of the koans, uh, the traditional hundred koans out of the Rinzai lineage of uh, uh, Lin Chi. So. Uh, those are some people need that kind of practice. They should go do it. But what we're talking about here is uh, between uh, this kind of understanding of, uh, of the Hokozamai and the kind of understanding that I am endeavoring to help people with uh, called opening the eye, eye mind, which is uh, people, uh, if they're not meditators, they can still do this practice. And there's several other ones besides. Uh, uh, well, one of them uh, is, uh, so some of you that don't know what this is, one of the main practices is you look at a painting, you could look at anything, you look at a tree stump, 
look at a painting, and then you use your peripheral vision. You go in over and you collect this object over here, this bright red circle. And then over here, you go over and you collect, uh, in other words, register in consciousness, uh, um, uh, a green tabletop with some flowers on it in a painting. And maybe the circle is a, maybe a pillow or something. And you, and you use those and you use your peripheral vision to go back and forth. When you use the peripheral vision, which is very difficult to do with other senses, although a little bit with sound, when you use that, you start to acknowledge the space that the, the illusion of space that is between those things. And that's the area where the conceptual mind starts to get locked up so that it can't see clearly. It sees what it thinks rather than it sees what it sees. So what you're doing is you're liberating, just like sitting meditation, you're liberating the, the thinking process from the awareness, simply put. It's just like, you know, if you try to do it aggressively, it's like uh, Velcro. It's not going to move. But if you just look at it, the very Velcro begins to dissolve because it cannot withstand uh, prajna. It cannot withstand that samadhi, that, that incredible uh, um, prajna paramita, awareness wisdom that looks, 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 and doesn't doesn't claim, doesn't assume, and doesn't deny. Whereas in uh, the the uh, open in the eye mind, we're taking one particular sense, and this is quite often appealing to artists, so it's not just for artists, artists. Uh, and we're set, it's kind of a setup so that you can begin to see the fundamental nature of what's in front of you. And if it's a beautiful painting, sometimes that's possible for you to actually see what the artist, he or she or themselves were actually endeavoring to bring about by orchestrating these shapes and colors. It's similar in music, but you know, a thousand musicians and a thousand artists are all doing something totally, they have the same medium, but they are doing completely different things. Just like, a thousand meditators, all doing something different. So this, as I often say to people, if this doesn't make sense to you, then go do something else. But if this does make sense, then train your mind. I'll help you. That's just simply put. I'll help you no matter no matter what. I can't. I, I don't have a choice. It's choiceless for me to do this. Not because I'm this great, wonderful person. No, actually, I'm very vain and self-centered. I have been since I was born. It has not changed. I couldn't teach if I was uh, better than everybody. Somehow I'd gotten over my vanity. It's still there. It's uh, what's different? It's nobody's home anymore. Kevin Bowing. Yes, Kevin. In in the, the text, Song of the Junior Samadhi. Yes. On one level, it is an artwork. I mean, it's so evocative with so many rich images are we missing the point if we are engaging it as an art object not at all no you meet it where meet everything where it's at so and this is the this is the fun the interesting part about it if you're meeting everything where it's at then it's meeting you where you're at and like it says here turning away and touching are both wrong it's like a massive fire and where's the other one uh, form an image behold each other it's like facing a jewel mirror. It's an astonishing situation because it's not like this dead painting is looking at you, but the nature of uh, the nature of vision, the nature of seeing, is uh, is not limited to individuals living or dead. It's already the case. It's not limited to eyeballs or or light shining on objects and reflecting. Not limited to that. Uh, and the way I usually do this is to try to 
give people an idea, and this is only, this is a shallow area of it, but it, because it is profound and vast beyond this, I just say, uh, uh, imagine a basketball covered with a blue sweatshirt. Got it? See what I'm saying? This is available to you all. This is so available. Your mind is so available to you. But but when I say that, then I, you could say, I trigger something in the nature. of. So we do that together. Ten minutes ago, you wouldn't be thinking of that. And I'm deliberately picking out some kind of mundane, mundane, ordinary thing. But it's this is this is what uh, the in the Tibetan tradition and the creation completion practices of imagining uh, your wisdom mind as a deity. This is what deity yoga is about. I don't think you need to do that. But perhaps you do. Kevin Bowie, I'm, I'm struck by yes. my kind of uh, assumption about this material as like, oh, well, these contradictory images are just meant to kind of stop my mind and make me realize that I don't know anything. But from what you've just said, maybe there's, maybe maybe beyond that is the sense that like, the, the 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 words are giving me access to my own mind to see this impossible thing very clearly and that I can enjoy that? Of course. Of course, you can enjoy it. You can actually see what's showing up. If there's something, if there's something, there's always a beyond. Anytime there's something, there's a beyond. Until And, and when there's nothing there, then this is the beyond. This is the uh, this is the other this is the other world. This is it. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. But you could train your mind, and you could you could save all beings, help others, help others, even the people who are incredibly tor torturing themselves with their beliefs and their opinions, their hopes and their fears. And one of the ways you can help them is don't meddle with them. But don't don't abandon them either. Run away. Very difficult. And and, and pretty impossible to do unless you're training unless you're in the midst of being as genuine and honest and sincere with your own thought patterns as you can, which is just just watch what moves. Uh, and and anything that comes up that is challenging then you'll be able to meet it as it is rather than your ideas about it, your opinions or your blame. And as I often say, it's not that people aren't doing things and somebody isn't to blame or the situation is to blame. That's the relative truth. And there's relative truth everywhere. But the fundamental nature is ultimate. And you have to see it. Ian Bowen? Yes, Ian. So when we're looking at the wall, is the wall more like the image or the mirror? Yeah, there, there's the same thing. It's like a mirror looking at a mirror. You've heard of that before, haven't you? It's like yeah. you put take two mirrors. You've heard of that one joke where you take two mirrors, you put them in a room, and then you go back out and you wonder what they're talking about. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but I like it. Uh, I just made it up. So, so I'm just saying that that you you're free to do anything with it. That 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 kind of freedom is the, the it's not a freedom to do something particularly or freedom not to do something or freedom to it's not that kind of freedom it's ultimate freedom 
which means that you you're so free that you can be a complete egomaniac and uh, uh, on the crown of the Buddha, Buddha's uh, uh, crown chakra. I mean, you, you're, it's that kind of liberation. Question from Michael Worthington. Michael. Can seeing the attachment make the ego more attached? Um. Yes, but it's it's not about detaching. Uh, it's about seeing the attachment. And yes, you you might not be more attached. You might you might just realize that you have always been more attached, but you're just seeing more of it now. Meditation practice tends to without some help, it tends to be something that's uh, kind of uh, uh, disappointing and you're not getting anywhere and you might be doing this wrong. You need to do a meditation that feels better. Sometimes I'll have some people come to me and say, why would I open my eyes? I feel better when I close my eyes and meditate. And then I might say, depending on who it is, I say, well, of course, that's you feel better when you sleep too. Close your eyes. So it's, again, it's, it's not wrong. People just have a different kind of a, a way of working with the whole thing. And sometimes they just need to be told, no, keep your eyes open because this is how we live with our eyes open. So this is the way, way you want to meditate. And all you're really doing when you meditate, it's very simple. You don't have to do fancy mantras, although we do some. You don't have to do fancy visualizations, although we do some. You don't do a terrible lot of them, but we do some because they're important. But all you really have to do is hold still and watch what continues to move. It seems to be that simple and that profoundly difficult. It takes a lifetime. A question from James. James. You've mentioned an older saying of Prajna being, from what I can remember, sounding like par Prajna. Yeah. Could I have your insight on this older saying of prajna and its context? It's just, uh, I think what I said is prajna paramita. Paramita means crossing over. So prajna is the wisdom that is crossed over. Uh, the Jna uh, or nya is wisdom and pra is uh, extensive. So it's seeing uh, through the duality of things, prajna. See, seeing through this and that. And paramita is... Uh, uh, I don't know. Chisho, what is it? Do you have the uh, exact uh, translation of paramita for for us? Out of Sanskrit. Yes, well, I, uh, I look it up and then I don't want to put in my two cents. I look it up and let you know. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, yeah. Well, then I'll continue to put in my two cents. So that's uh, also the name of the Prajna Paramita literature, tra tra early translations by Edward Kanzi back in the 30s and 40s. And uh, there's a Prajna Paramita in 10,000 lines and 20,000 lines. And, and then there's the one that we chant, which is very short. And uh, we, we chant uh, the, the heart part of the, the heart sutra is the, one of the smallest parts along with the diamond sutra of the Prajna Paramita literature. And it's just talking about the nature of reality over and over and over again. Uh, and there's a, the, uh, the mantra in there is uh, gone, gone, gone beyond, gone completely beyond Soviet or awake. And so it's just a, a structure, a way of saying something and repeating something. And the idea is to, uh, to have to transcend the whole this and that idea. There, there's lots of material there. Uh, Red, uh, Red Pine has an excellent book. Uh, on uh, 
the Heart Sutra and another one on the Diamond Sutra that are translations and also commentaries of those two uh, smaller forms of the Prajnaparamita literature. Uh, much easier than uh, Kanzi, C-O-N-Z-E, much easier than his material. I wouldn't say it's better. It's just his is much more scholarly and involved. Aramita, the, the last uh, A, if it's a longer one, Aramita, yes. it stands for complete attainment or uh, perfection in yeah. or transcendental virtue. Very good. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's the perfection of Prajna Paramita. Thank you. So Paramita, so Prajna Paramita. Uh, it's just saying the per, per, perfection, uh, the perfection of wisdom in ten thousand lines, the perfection of, of, of wisdom in in the Heart Sutra, the perfection of wisdom in the Diamond Sutra. And it's a uh, if you read those and study those, which we do occasionally at the monastery, get together uh, uh, once a day. Are we doing any of those right now? We're not doing Diamond or Heart Sutra. We have in the past, so that's a very good thing to study with others because they're very simple. And if you read them on your own, which you can, it's really good to have someone to talk to about that, not just a teacher, but other people who are studying the material too, because other people have other ideas of how this material shows up. Since it's transcendent uh, material, um, it's just good to discuss it with Sangha, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, teacher, teaching community. There's a question from Langton, who's in London. Langton. It's kind of a two-part question. Yes. He asks, do you agree with the notion that there are as many paths as there are souls? And how do you regard lay or practice outside a tradition? Well, um, as many practices as there are souls, uh, the whole idea of soul is that there's some kind of a, 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 a centeredness that goes on from lifetime to lifetime. And I'm don't particularly uh, agree with that since you asked me in that way, but I don't really disagree either. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not, um, it seems to be a lot of different ways. Just my experiences, people are practicing this way or that way. And some people need a, uh, I, I say, don't, don't interfere with anybody's practices. If somebody's a Christian and they're doing okay, then leave them alone. Don't argue it at all. Don't even mention Buddhism to them. <laughs> you can help it. Let them drag it out of you. I sometimes say, cause that's the only way it's even going to, even going to be meaningful. And uh, what was the other part of the question? Uh, How do you regard practice outside of tradition? Okay. I think it's possible to do some of that, but it's it's unlikely. Uh, and the reason, uh, well, well, let's put it this way. I'll use my own example. There's no way I would have done this without, without meeting uh, uh, my guru or my uh, Tibetan uh, uh, Vajra master. There's no way I would do this. I was, I was, well, I still am, uh, but I'm, it's somewhat different, but it's, uh, um, I was so wrapped up in my ability to understand this material back in the sixties. I was reading Edward Kanzi. I was reading the Heart Sutra and the Diamond Sutra, the Prajnaparamita literature, uh, the translation out of the Sanskrit. And I was reading everything else I could get on Buddhism or meditation from, uh, you know, Alexander David Neal to Alan Watts to W.Y. Evans Wentz, uh, to, um, um, uh, there's more of them. Krishnamurti, Jiddu Krishnamurti. I read every, I think there's seven or eight of his books. I read all of those. 
And, um, uh, but I, I didn't have any way of, I mean, I could think about it. I could do it intellectually. And I, I got, so I was probably irritating the hell out of other people by trying to explain the nature of reality based on what I just read uh, 10 minutes ago. And, and then I stumbled into the, the Vidyadara Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche and began to train my mind. So I, I had to go back to square one. All the reading and everything I'd done was, I could see that was interesting and meant a lot and everything, but I could not apply it to my life. I had to be able to apply it to my life. And if you, if someone uh, is up in their head, as I was, uh, pretty hard to do that. You still have to stop reading that wonderful book that's, you keep, uh, you know, you're in love with that material because when you read it, it gives you the feeling that you know. You know what I'm talking about. All of you do. <laughs> I'm saying put the book down or read the book with a group of people where you don't, where you have to actually study the material. You actually have to talk about the nature of this concept or that concept. You might even have to look up words you thought you knew what they meant. I don't. Uh, I think it's very difficult to do it on your own. And you could you could become a Pratyeka Buddha and do this on your own, but it's very hard to know how to include others if you think they're separate from you. If you think you're the one who's attaining liberation, and you think they're the ones who are all oh, the poor things, they don't understand the nature of reality like I do. Of course, I've been on my path and climbing the mountain, going into retreat, and yeah, you know what I say about that. I'm not even going to repeat it. Uh, at the same time I say that, that might be the only thing they can do. This might be their lifetime, but they need to do it that way because three lifetimes from now, they'll run into the Buddha. But they can't do that until they've gone up and down the mountain by themselves for a while thinking they know stuff. So it's, uh, it's basically Chung Rinpoche talks about it and cutting through spiritual materialism. So I maybe unlikely. It's, it's also very difficult, even if you do have a teacher, if you do have a path, if you do have, even if you do all of this and you, I know people have practiced way longer than I have, are very, very knowledgeable and very, but they are not awake. How do I know? <laughs> I was going to say, trust me. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. They're not awake because they, they, there's still some kind of identity operating there that needs something else. They need something. They need to be appreciated. They need to be acknowledged. And the only way I need to be acknowledged is to have everybody adore me and drop at my feet and send me money. Nuno's the only one laughing, so apparently that wasn't that funny. Karan bowing. Yes. Tokuzan, um if we see things as not separate, it, does compassion automatically arise? Could you speak about that? I'll try. So compassion uh, is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It may have an emotional charge to it, but it's not a feeling. It's You just see clearly that you don't have to have compassion. If you just cut your, le your hand, you don't think, I need to be compassionate for that poor hand that I've just cut. I'm going to be compassionate, and I'm going to go in the bathroom and... I'm going to get a Band-Aid. I'm going to be compassionate to my hand. It's a silly metaphor, but it's like that. When you start to see the people that are suffering, they are you. They're, they're, your, they're your children. They're your mothers. They're your, it's a family. And you see it intensely, even with people who are really mean and suffering and blaming you for stuff or blaming their neighbors or fighting or 
walking down the street with an AK-47 wanting to kill people. Uh, they still uh, they still are operating out of intense delusion of separation. So when 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 you see what this is, when you train your mind to see what this is, then the compassion arises. But it's not recognizable as a feeling. It's not a sad feeling about about poor people that are hurting or something. You know, the feeling I have for inmates in prison is not a sad feeling. It's, that's karma. They're in prison. Uh, what I'll do if I get into a prison, I'll go in there and teach them how to train their mind. But I don't feel sorry for them. I mean, if I feel sorry for anything, I, I feel sorry for the whole, whole world, the whole system. But it's not an emotion. This doesn't because I, I'll say it to you this way, and I've said this before. If the, if the true emotion of compassion hits you, uh, you might die. Because it's over. It's not emotion. It's an overwhelming uh, understanding. Uh, the the symbol the symbol for that uh, that was put forth by teachers in the past is uh, Avalokiteshvara, the 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 Bodhisattva Chenrezig, is the Tibetan for the Bodhisattva of compassion comes down and and looks at uh, looks at the suffering of the world. Uh, his name is Avalokite, Avalokita or sound observer. He hears the suffering of the world, and what does he do? He weeps. And then he can't, because of his nature, because of his ultimate nature, even though he's a bodhisattva, can't come down just because of that nature. But his tears, this is a symbol, his tears turn into white Tara and green Tara. And one is active and one is more wisdom. And they come down and then those beings, it's just a way of talking about it, a way of helping you understand that you, you can't really do this directly. Because if you start to do it directly, then you separate yourself from it. So just uh, images, they're using images to do that. As uh, uh, His Holiness the 16th Karmapa was in Hong Kong once uh, back in the, I think it was the late 70s. And he walked uh, in Hong Kong, he walked out on the on the, uh, the veranda or something to look at the city at night and everything. And he, and he collapsed. He, could, he couldn't withstand what he saw. So uh, as I'm saying, you don't you don't really want to, it's not a it's not a nice little feeling that you can feel good about uh, oh the poor people or here I'll help these poor people or the poor person with the cardboard sign I feel so sad about them I'm not saying you can't have that I'm not saying get rid of it but it's not compassion compassion is completely ruthless it, it, it does not there's no favorites there at all you know, there can't be so if you were beginning to begin to feel this in a relative way. Uh, you might have a heart attack or you might collapse on the floor because of the overwhelming surge or not. What I would say is just keep practicing. Sit a lot. I'll take a final question since we're past our time, but I can take one more if there's a good. Wendy, Wendy, go ahead. When you are talking about um, seeing compassion and dying, are you only talking about this physical existence, not our true selves? Alan? So you, I didn't hear the first part of the question, Wendy, when I was, I was talking about, you, you said I was talking about something and I don't remember talking about that. So. Wendy Rowling, when 
you were answering Hakaran's question, you said if we were to experience true compassion, yeah. we would either collapse or die. Yes. Yeah. What I'm and what was the question? Wendy Bowing, were you talking about this physical existence as being the thing that dies rather than our true selves? Yeah. Yeah, your your true self has not been born, so therefore it can't die. It's it's uh, to be very literal about it. It's just a, it is in a as a, it as is at once in another dimension because it's hidden. It's it's like a heron hidden in the moonlight. But when you see it, it's this dimension. But you have to see it. And if you see it, you won't congratulate yourself or anyone. There'll be no conclusion. There'll be no credential. So. When I'm saying that, I'm just saying uh, most people aren't going to experience that kind of uh, situation because it's because it's impossible to hold up because you're you're in a relative situation and that kind of uh, relative uh, consideration for for all beings, save all beings, uh, if it was taken up on taken taken on by an individual consciousness, it would it would be very difficult for that individual consciousness. I'm not saying it necessarily would, would die, but it might it might it might uh, fall over like his holiness the sixteenth fell on the floor and was so overwhelmed by the by the suffering that he saw out over Hong Kong. It was in the late seventies, I think, before he passed away in nineteen eighty one. Interesting, uh, His Holiness the 16th Karmapa, the head of the Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, uh, passed in 1981, and his uh, uh, his toku, uh, the toku, uh, um, the 17th Karmapa, uh, was born in, what, I think 1985 or something like that. Is it 85? Yeah. But anyway, though, that particular, uh, I think... Uh, He's supposed to be an incarnation of Avalokiteshvara, and so is uh, so is uh, His Holiness Dalai Lama. I think I might have it confused. I'm not really a scholar scholar in that area, but it's just a way of talking about it. Uh, but it's it, it brings people into uh, a realm of understanding that they might not get to otherwise. That doesn't mean they understand it, but it moves one's thinking process and mind and understanding and perception into areas that, that don't make a lot of sense and they don't they don't they don't add up if you need things to add up then then <laughs> good luck you can dedicate the merit in the in the zendo if you would please so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. The three worlds. 
Yes, the Empress says, Feliz, may everybody be happy uh, for the rest of the day. <laughs> 